This is KDX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Elsa Ramon in for Charles Feldman today. The Supreme Court is delaying a final decision on the abortion drug Mifepristone until Friday night. Also, does Fox News paying hundreds of millions to settle a defamation lawsuit really make a difference with its audience? And uh, two space stories today. An old satellite is coming down and the chances that it might land on you is not zero. And where are the aliens? That's comforting. But we are going to start with the abortion fight and the ruling delayed less than an hour ago. Michelle Goodwin directs the Center for Biotechnology and Global Health Policy at the UC Irvine Law School. Michelle, thanks for joining us. So what does this mean that we're now going to see a decision made and they've set the deadline now for 1159 p.m. on Friday night? Well, that's right. And of course, they could move that deadline just as they moved it today. But what this means is that the status of Mifepristone is the same as it was before Judge Kaczmarek's ruling. Now, Judge Kaczmarek is the district court judge in Amarillo, Texas, which allowed the petitioners to uh, move forward in their effort to remove Mifepristone from the marketplace. So that's the first case. And so the status of this drug is what it was before Judge Kaczmarek's ruling to remove it from the U.S. marketplace. So with uh, Justice Alito putting this deadline at 11.59 p.m. Friday night doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to wait until Friday night to issue that final ruling. As you say, it could come really at any time. But it does seem to indicate that we are leaning toward not hearing about what their final decision is until Friday night. Now, in the media, we know the Friday night as the Friday night news dump. When you release information that you really don't want to release, but you have to, so you put it out Friday night, when the assumption is fewer people are paying attention. Can we take a signal from that, that if they're delaying this until Friday night, that it may not be uh, a decision that most people will be happy with? Sometimes it's strategic that opinions come out on a Friday or as with the Dobbs decision, it was the last one of last year's term. You know, I'm not sure how we can read that because there are different constituencies um, to satisfy. For example, it could be the late Friday night because conservatives on the court don't want to um, ruffle the feathers of those who brought this decision, brought this case in the first place. Um, and that is quite likely, actually, even though this is the court that overturned Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, this is really quite extreme what we saw in this lower court decision from Judge Kaczmarek. Never before has the FDA had a drug removed from the marketplace at all. So it is really quite extraordinary. In some ways, one might call it even more extraordinary than the Dobbs decision itself, because there's nearly, you know, there are decades, nearly 100 years of precedent with the FDA putting drugs, approving drugs for the marketplace and various other things to the marketplace, and that any group could petition a court very selectively to have a drug that has been well studied, in fact, some might say even overstudied, uh, removed for what would seem to be political reasons is really quite unheard of. So say the final decision is the abortion drug, Mifepristone, is banned. What does that mean for other drugs down the road and the implications, not just for women, but for other people who use these drugs in different ways? 
Well, this is what also makes it quite extraordinary. And thank you for that question, because it means that any particular medication that people rely on, and there are literally thousands of medications on the marketplace, more than 22,000 drugs in the U.S. marketplace. It means that any particular group that has a political opposition, a religious opposition, or for whatever reason, moral opposition to certain drugs in the marketplace that they could be removed. In the case of mifepristone, quite specifically, we're talking about not just abortion, but there are other uses for this medication. But if we were talking about abortion, let's be clear that the U.S. has the deadliest rate of maternal mortality in all of the industrialized world. If you're a woman, you're 14 times more likely to die by carrying a pregnancy to term in the U.S. than by having an abortion. And since the Supreme Court's ruling in Dobbs, there have just simply been horrific cases of women nearly bleeding to death, nearly dying while waiting for an intervention such as mifepristone to help them terminate pregnancies where their lives have been Placed at risk. So that's such an important question. And we must al always remember the health and science behind these particular deeply political times. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Michelle Goodwin with uh, UC Irvine Law School. And we are going to expand upon that discussion and how it affects the ripple effects with other drugs, no matter which way the Supreme Court rules on the abortion pill. Women's health will be impacted far beyond abortions. You're listening to KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer, along with Elsa Ramon, and for Charles today. A satellite is falling out of orbit, and what are the chances it's going to land on you? You might be surprised. The chances are never zero, Rob. <laughs> Just know that. They're even a little lesser, less than zero, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right now, though, the medications that are used to induce abortions in women have uses that go well beyond terminating a pregnancy. And if the Supreme Court upholds a lower court's ban of at least one type of abortion pill, mifepristone, women who might have no interest in having an abortion will still be feeling the impact because those other drugs treat other serious diseases. Dr. Brittany Fredrickson is an associate director for Women's Health Policy at the Kaiser Family Foundation. And Dr. Fredrickson, uh, Kaiser released a study in November to talk about the ripple effects that banning mifepristone would have on other drugs that are also used in conjunction with abor abortions, which is methotrexate and misoprostol. But those drugs are used to treat cancers and other serious diseases, autoimmune diseases. How is this really going to disproportionately affect women. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Robin Elsa. Um, so just to clarify, the current case that's at the Supreme Court is solely dealing with the use of mifepristone. And so a medication abortion involves two drugs, mifepristone and misoprostol. Um, and our analysis looked at who's using misoprostol and who's using another drug, methotrexate. And these drugs, there have been reports that women are having a hard time getting these drugs because they're also used to terminate pregnancies. So um, misoprostol is used for a number of things like treating ulcers, managing miscarriages, inducing labor, also assisting with IUD insertions by softening and dilating the cervix. So this could have wide reaching implications um, but just to be clear, it's not the current case is not dealing with misoprostol. And then the other drug, methotrexate, 
um, is used to deal with autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis. And so if in states where abortion is banned, if people think that these drugs are being used for abortions, women that are using them for autoimmune disease management may experience delays in getting these drugs. We're still at the, at the part of this discussion where we are still making a lot of assumptions because we don't know what the final ruling is going to be, if this uh, ban is going to be uh, upheld or uh, struck down. Uh, but let's say if it is and it does affect these drugs that that wind up being used for other uh, issues other than abortion, uh, are there other drugs in the place of that drug if it's banned that people could have access to? Or are there medical issues where only these drugs will do? Yeah, so for abortion, if mifepristone is banned, then um, you can use misoprostol only. And so clinicians could start prescribing a misoprostol only regimen to manage a medication abortion. Um, although there are more intense side effects with a misoprostol only regimen. Um, but right now, as far as this ruling goes, if it were to ban mifepristone, we would still have access to misoprostol and methotrexate. So people shouldn't should still be able to get those drugs to manage their chronic conditions. But in your report, it does outline that some women are reporting that in uh, abortion banning states are already having trouble getting some of those other drugs that are not in the forefront right now that we were just talking about, methotrexate and misoprostol, to treat their cancers, to treat their rheumatoid arthritis, to treat eczema. Uh, It's also used to reduce the risk of gastric ulcers. So there are so many other uses, but in your report, you do say that women are already uh, facing barriers and being asked by some doctors or pharmacists to provide pregnancy tests before they can get these drugs to treat these other issues. Yeah, definitely. There have been reports of people that have used these drugs for many years to manage their chronic conditions. Um, And a lot of times when a pharmacist is seeing this, there might not be a diagnosis code saying what that drug is being used for. So they may use extra caution in prescribing these drugs because they don't know what they're being used for. Um, So yes, it does have far-reaching implications for people getting the drugs that they've relied on for a long time. And sometimes, and in many cases, these are the best drugs to manage their chronic conditions, and they would have to work with their provider to find another drug in place of these. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Brittany Fredrickson, uh, the Associate Director for the Women's Health Policy at uh, Kaiser Family Foundation. Coming up, will the Dominion settlement and the airing of all of that dirty laundry be enough to break the spell on Fox News viewers? You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Alza Ramon. I'm Rob Archer. And still to come, the director of the Pentagon's UFO Research Division told a Senate committee hearing today about whether or not we are being visited by aliens Hmm. right now. I wonder what he said. We'll find out. Uh, Right now, though, Dominion's defamation lawsuit aired on all kinds of embarrassing dirty laundry behind the scenes at Fox News. Uh, Gunnar Raymer is a political director at the Republican Accountability Project. Now, they've run some focus groups uh, with Fox News viewers. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. So the, the first question I have in these focus groups, uh, does anything show that this Dominion settlement or any of the stuff that came out about Fox News behind the scene break the spell on its uh, most dedicated viewers? Yeah, no, I'd say that the main thing that we learned uh, from these focus groups that we've been doing with Republican primary voters for a long time now is that 
they didn't know about it. They didn't really have an opinion about it, right? Because they're if only there were some news network that could have told them what right, was Fox going News on. Isn't reporting on a settlement case with <laughs> Dominion about their own uh, company, and and that's the thing about the settlement uh, that. Uh, the reason why Fox News agreed to the settlement is that it was not a good story for them. And it's that this case would have allowed for these voters to hear about it. Right. It would have been in the news more. You would have seen, you know, people testifying and, and having very public uh, figures uh, measured up to a lot of scrutiny. So no voters, uh, Republican primary voters didn't really have an opinion about this settlement because they weren't really hearing a lot about it. You would think, though, that uh, a settlement worth almost a billion dollars would raise an eyebrow and think, wow, why would a company be so willing to fork over so much money to halt this from going to trial? Might, you know, be a little bit suspicious, but Dominion's uh, attorneys signaled yesterday that this isn't the end of this whole fiasco. They have other pending lawsuits against other right-wing networks like Newsmax and OWN, against Trump allies Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, who was former counsel, and Mike Lindell, My Pillow. So, you know, they got so much money from Fox. What if they are awarded this amount of money from these other networks? Could these other networks sustain that kind of blow? Because Fox obviously can. I'm not sure. Uh, no, I think that, that that is a good point. Uh, I will say that if there is one thing that we cannot forget about this lawsuit, it's that a bunch of these executives and hosts knew that the election wasn't stolen. We saw that in the text messages that were released. They knew that people like Sidney Powell uh, were totally crazy. Yet, uh, when they were you know, filming their shows, they lied to their audience. And I think that... Um, the good news about this settlement uh, that was done with Dominion is that there was a, a shade of accountability uh, for uh, all the wrongdoing that Fox uh, News did. I'm going to be cynical here and uh, play 3D chess a little bit and, and follow along with me and tell me what you think. Uh, is Fox News uh, playing a little bit of a game here? Because we forget sometimes we think they're all monolithic in their in their being on the uh, right wing side of the spectrum. But they are in competition with these other networks, One American News, uh, Newsmax, these these other uh, right leaning networks. So. Could Fox News making the settlement of nearly a billion dollars, which is a lot of money, but they're able to afford it, knowing that these other networks cannot, does that open the door to help Dominion get a big settlement or win their lawsuits against these smaller rival networks and put them out of business, leaving Fox News standing alone? Sure, uh, that might be right. Uh, the thing about going after Newsmax or OAN, and I, I hope that there is accountability for these uh, news organizations that are starting to gain a little bit more steam with Republican primary voters. But I, I'd say that not having uh, the the hosts be embarrassed and the executives be embarrassed is is a win first uh, for Fox News. And then to your point, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if these smaller media organizations are going to be able uh, to handle this kind of settlement. You know, uh, of all the evidence that has come out up until now before the trial, the text messages, all of these things that prove that some of Fox's very influential news anchors didn't agree with any of this stuff behind the scenes, but on camera they did. 
Right. Uh, earlier in a major pretrial ruling in March, a Delaware Superior Court judge ruled that Dominion successfully proved that in all 20 of their statements that the Fox was indeed lying. And he wrote the evidence is pretty crystal clear that none of the statements relating to Dominion about the 2020 election are true with all of this stuff out there already. Do you think people will search to find this information or even if they do see it, the loyal viewers, do you think it'll have any kind of impact whatsoever on Fox? Yeah, I'm not sure there is going to be much of an impact now that you've had this settlement uh, being reached because it just will be in the news less. Right. If, if the if Tucker Carlson was uh, being asked questions and we could see that it would it would seep into uh, the media environment in ways that it hadn't already for these Fox new, News uh, voters. But I think the the really scary thing here is that, uh, and we saw this with what happened on January 6th, but all this lying uh, continued uh, to erode our political system, these lies uh, that led to something like January 6th and Donald Trump's repeated lies, uh, that it's really a shame for our country that we're in this position. Gunnar Raymer, thank you so much. Uh, Political director at the Republican Accountability Project. Well, you might want to keep looking up at the skies tonight. There's a dead satellite. And be ready to run. Just FYI. Just FYI. (laughs) Be ready to run. I wonder if you can outrun a falling satellite. I don't think you can. Yeah. (laughs) All right. uh, That's all coming up on In Depth. You are listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Elsa Ramon. Well, it weighs about 660 pounds. It is dead. It is currently hurtling towards Earth's atmosphere. It's an old NASA satellite. It's going to be falling out of orbit tonight and come crashing back down to the surface. Yeah, but we can't tell you when or exactly where. (laughs) But NASA says it's pretty confident that the satellite or pieces of it will land safely in the ocean. But the odds of it landing on someone are at 1 in 2,467. So not zero. So definitely not zero, but I wouldn't call that low, would you? I don't know. Uh, Dr. Mariba Ja is a professor of aerospace engineering at the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Ja, thank you so much for joining us here in Los Angeles this afternoon. So this satellite is expected to mostly burn up in the atmosphere before it actually enters. Um, Earth's, uh, you know, enters land and hits land here on Earth. But the the chances aren't zero for people um, when it comes to whether or not this may land in a city or on a roadway or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I I think, um, you know, the the main message is even though um, the the chances are, are, are low, as you said, they're not zero. And the thing is, we're launching more and more stuff in the space. Uh, you know, before it used to be maybe like a dozen things a year. Now it's on average more than a dozen things per week. And as things re-enter that uh, have died over long periods of time, uh, we're going to see more things surviving re-entry and more things, um, you know, making it all the way to the Earth's surface. And um, so, yeah, 
people should definitely be concerned about a falling sky sort of thing. Um, put the odds into context for us. This one is one in 2,467. Uh, that's certainly not the odds we hear when we talk about winning the lottery. It's a, it's a lot more than that. So not zero, and I, I'm not an expert in understanding statistics or odds. So put that in context. How does that compare to other things that might happen to you, say, for example, having a car crash? Yeah, I mean, look, I would I would say that, that your odds of getting, uh, you know, this thing actually impacting the ground and hurting somebody is probably, uh, I don't know, the same, the same as odds of somebody getting smacked by some tree that falls. Like any individual person, it's probably not high, but at the same time, I mean, you know, it's it's not zero either. Especially depending on where that tree is and and kind of you know if it's like strong winds and, and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah, so, and we've had a lot of falling trees recently, so that doesn't make us feel better. Yes, well, a uh, good because you shouldn't feel that good. And the thing is, this is just one satellite. You know, when more start to enter and they start entering more frequently, uh, you know, for each one, it's going to be the same odds for each one. But if you have more of them happening more frequently, then you can see how these odds start to stack up in disfavor. I don't think people realize how many satellites are out there orbiting Earth. Can you put that in perspective and uh, also talk about how what we have to look forward to when the rest of these satellites start uh, meeting the same fate? Yeah, so the thing is is that um, right now we're tracking about 48,000 human-made objects ranging in size from the cell phone to the space station, of which about 5,000 are working satellites and everything else is garbage. Um, when, when things are sufficiently low and they, they, they come into the atmosphere, um, if Mother Nature is responsible for making the stuff come in, meaning the thing is dead and, and they can't be controlled, then we have no idea exactly what's going to happen like this whole you know prediction said oh it's going to come in at this time plus or minus 16 hours that's a lot of uncertainty i mean each orbit it it takes about an hour and a half so you can imagine just how much of the earth that stuff might cover and so yeah i mean we should not be just abandoning objects when they're dead and just letting mother nature naturally bring them in because then we have a lot of uncertainty, and, and that should worry people. What can we do? Can we uh, enforce some rules on makers of satellites to say, you know, you got to make sure that more of it is able to burn up in the atmosphere or, uh, or, or start yeah. reducing the amount of stuff we launch? It, well, so the thing is, we're probably not going to reduce the stuff we launch, but certainly we can, uh, you know, countries, governments can say, the only way that you're going to get a license to operate in space is if you design your satellite to burn up in the atmosphere and not pollute the atmosphere when it burns up, A, and B, you know, uh, responsible disposal means forcefully making the thing come in and not letting just Mother Nature try to clean up the mess. All right, thanks so much, uh, Mariba Ja, professor of aerospace engineering at the University of Texas, Austin. So uh, watch the skies. All right, we're going to stick with the uh, outer space and orbit and all that kind of stuff because we're going to start talking about extraterrestrials Desperately trying to make contact with humans, maybe? Or are a whole lot of us just seeing things? That's in just a few minutes as KNX In-Depth continues. You're listening to KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer, along with Elsa Ramon. 
So, can you tell by the music what we're going to talk about? The director of the Pentagon's UFO Research Project testified in front of the Senate Armed Services Committee today and says they found no evidence of alien activity on Earth. On the other hand, instances of unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAP, sharply on the rise. Uh, Nick Pope joining us as a consultant and investigative journalist formerly ran the British government's UFO research program in the 90s at the uh, Ministry of Defense. Thank you so much. How are you today? Yes, good, thank you. Exciting times. So uh, so no evidence of uh, alien activity on Earth, and there are a lot of scientific reasons why that actually may be the case. I know that we look at the vastness of space and we think, gosh, it's big. It's, there's got to be other planets out there and other people and other beings who can communicate in our sentient. But at the same time, the distances are vast. The time scales are vast. Uh, so we'll get into that. But what do you make of the testimony that we did get? I understand there was something about the military drones capturing video of some unexplained metallic orbs around the world. What do you make of that? Yes, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, who heads up the Pentagon office looking at this, showed an intriguing video. Uh, in, in fact, he showed two. One explained, one, the, the one you're mentioning, unexplained. And, and that is interesting. And for, furthermore, he, he said that there are over 650 cases they now uh, got in their database, military sightings, pilots, radar operators, and such like. As you say, no credible evidence so far any of them are extraterrestrial. But I guess in strictness, neither has that been ruled out. And, and the work of this unit is really just only getting started. Uh, in fact, the, the work of this unit did um, reveal some spying uh, in our atmosphere and in our skies. I believe, if I read correctly, that it led to the discovery of the Chinese spy balloons that were floating around our skies. Yes, indeed. There was quite a lot of discussion about that and some indications that some of this activity is indeed um, adversaries, uh, China mainly, possibly Russia. Uh, there was talk about concerning indicators of that. And clearly that's something that the, the Senate Armed Services Committee and indeed other parts of Congress are going to be exploring in more detail as we move forward. What are the possibilities that some of the things that are seen are uh, not just from other countries, but maybe from our own of advanced uh, aircraft uh, that we are working on that we don't want to reveal to the world that, that we've made these technological achievements or advancements? And so when it comes time to testify about, well, this was captured on video, what is that? Oh, we don't know what that is uh, because we don't want to say. Is that a possibility or is that just conspiracy level thinking and and? There really is not a lot of advanced technology that we haven't been told about. Well, I think even though these programs are going to be very highly classified and uh, deeply compartmentalized, I suspect that when it comes to our own technology, even if the people running this unit didn't have the clearance, they would probably be told by people in the know, read onto those programs, look, back off, this is one of ours. So I don't think they'd waste too much time on something like that. And, uh, you know, we've seen videos for the past several months or for quite some time now of images of our own uh, military capturing these orbs and following them and also listening to what the pilots are saying to each other. Like they don't know what this is. They're trying to keep up with it. And, you know, it sounds completely unfamiliar to the military uh, that patrols our skies. Is that something to consider as well? 
it is, yes. And uh, those, the best known of those videos still remain unexplained. And of course, it's not just the pilot seeing them. As you say, these things were captured on forward-looking infrared camera uh, and also other sensors, uh, so radar. And again, there was some mention in the hearing today of satellite data. That's going to be interesting. NASA, of course, doing their own study. There was some discussion about how the Pentagon is going to interface with that. And what most intrigued me was talk about some witnesses, possibly whistleblowers, who have already come forward. And this was one of the provisions in the defense bill and given testimony to the committee, over two dozen, apparently. How hard is it to separate actual whistleblowers from people who just want some attention so they make some some far out crazy claims? I think it will be very quick and easy, which is why I'm quite excited, because if people are going back into the historical record and and speaking about some of the well-known cases, I think the Department of Defense and the intelligence community will very quickly be able to tell, is this person credible or, or are they just trying to write themselves in the story? And is there any credible evidence to support their claims? And, and some of the claims, of course, we've heard about uh, missiles apparently being shut down are pretty serious stuff. And if that happened, Congress rightly wants to get to the bottom of that as a matter of urgency. Nick, I've watched you for many, many years give your commentary on shows like Ancient Aliens. You formerly ran the British government's UFO research program in the 90s at the Ministry of Defense. What has been your experience? Do you have any personal experiences with UFOs or anything else that is unidentified and unexplainable? Well, I've not seen one myself, but in the British Ministry of Defense files, we certainly had some great cases, which even after rigorous investigation remained unexplained. Uh, one even involved a landing where there was uh, radioactivity levels at the landing site significantly higher than the average background. And that's exactly the sort of science that Dr. Kirkpatrick uh, from the Pentagon's Arrow office, um, I, I think, wants to, to have. And, and he was talking about the scientific method. That's that's what we want. But yeah, we had those uh, very strong science cases in our own real life X-Files, if I can call them that. All right, Nick, uh, Pope, before we let you go, I want to share my theory with you. And I've shared this before. But uh, the reason I think that aliens are not visiting our planet is because we're a test tube. And uh, the aliens are trying to see how our civilization is going to develop with all the problems that we have. And they don't want to bother us. They want to see how it all works out. That's why they tell other aliens, stay away. Or they're scared of us. <laughs> yeah, or they're scared of us. <laughs> or a bit of both. But <laughs> I like the idea of them coming here as scientists and anthropologists to discuss this newly emerging civilization uh, called humanity. There you go. All right. Thank you, uh, Nick Pope, journalist, investigative reporter, for joining us today on uh, In-Depth. Uh, it's uh, That's going to do it for today. Uh, we'll do this again tomorrow, KNX In-Depth, at 1 p.m.